Well, this is Christmas season, and it's a time of year in which there are a lot of Christmas concerts going on in the schools. How many of you have already been to at least one Christmas concert in, with your family? Any of you? Yes, that's a lot of you. Uh, there are Christmas concerts or Christmas parties. Have you had your, your company party yet? Maybe you have. Uh, it's just a lot of celebrations, included, of course, uh, in, 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 the, in the churches. There are a lot of celebrations of uh, the birth of Jesus. And, and our kids, of course, next week we're having uh, our children present a little skit that they've been working on. And it's going to be, uh, as Benji said, we're inviting you to come. It's going to be a great time. We're going to have some hot chocolate, some cookies, some sweets, and some Christmas music. And all that starts at, at 10. Our service starts at 1030. So uh, be here early. But it's part of our celebration. And I, I was just kind of thinking back to um, all my years involved in the church with my dad being a pastor, I grew up as a pastor's kid, as a preacher's kid, as a PK. And so I've seen a lot of Christmas pageants, Christmas programs. Growing up, it was a, it was a huge deal. I mean, we, we had probably a three-hour, sometimes longer, uh, Christmas program on Christmas Eve at our church. And we had this big old drama and we had a lot of solos, a lot of music, and people reciting poetry. It was a grand old thing, grand old thing. You're not going to believe this, but, and I don't know, I don't think we were the only church that did this, but, but we used to do this. We used to have a Christmas tree up at the front, uh, and people would bring their gifts for their family members to the church. They wouldn't open them at home. They'd bring them to the church. So after the three or four hour long service, somebody would stand up here, would call out names of the kids and other family members, and they'd come up and get their present. You know, we could have done that at home, but we just did it. There was just a community feeling. And so we would open gifts in front of the whole church. And you can imagine that took a long time, took a long time. But, uh, you know, things have changed a little bit. We still love to do our children's program and uh do the nativity scene if possible. And, and, uh, it, and I, I like that. I like to recognize that. But let's just be careful that we don't think of Christmas as something that's only for children, that we don't think of Christmas as something that um, is just, you know, a play, the nativity scene, and we see our kids. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you when you were young, you were Mary or you were, you know, one of the shepherds or you're one of, you, played, you played a role, you know, one of the, the wise men. You played a role, and we were sometimes lacking in our small church growing up, and we had to have some young girls be wise men. You know, we didn't have enough guys. And so those things happened, but what I'm trying to say to you is that that's more than just a little story that that we put on, a little play, a little skit, a little pageant we put on on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or the week before Christmas. This is a reality. The story that is told by children and, and by adults is a reality, something that, that happened uh, when the angel came to Mary and told her that she was going to give birth to a child. Uh, that really happened. And when, the, when, when Mary told the angel, how is this possible? I'm, I'm still a virgin. How can I be with child? That really happened. And then the scriptures tell us that the angel explained to Mary that it would be a work of the Holy Spirit, that the power of God would overshadow her. And then, and this is what I want to focus on today, then the angel reminded her of something that is demonstrated throughout the scriptures. The angel told her this in Luke 1.37. We read that he said, For with God nothing will be impossible. 
For with God, nothing will be impossible. That's not the only time we see that. As I said, we see it throughout Scripture. Jesus himself said something very similar. He said, for what is impossible with man is possible with God. He was talking about the salvation, uh, how people could be saved. And so I want to talk about that. We're in the second week of a series called Cool Yule. And this series is about why Christmas is the best thing ever. Christmas is the best thing ever. Last week, uh, we said that Christmas is the best thing ever because it reveals the God whose arms are open wide. So if you missed last uh, Sunday's uh, service, look it up on Facebook or on YouTube, uh, um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, different podcast platforms. You'll be able to listen or watch that, uh, that sermon. So today I want to talk to you about another reason why Christmas is the best thing ever, and that's this. Christmas is the best thing ever because it demonstrates that nothing is impossible with God. It demonstrates that nothing is impossible with God. Now I want to go back to uh, Luke one thirty seven, where the angel said to her was, for with God nothing will be impossible. Now some of you, if you're reading a different version of the Bible, a different translation, it might read a little bit differently. Uh, many other translations, uh, several of them, NIV, New Living Translation and others, don't say, for with God nothing is impossible. They say this, for no word from God will ever fail. For no word from God will ever fail. You might think, well, why are they so different? Well, without getting too deep into this explanation, I got deep into it this week. I was like, why? In fact, it was last, I think it was last Sunday night. I was looking at this and uh, thinking, why is it so different? And I was able to dig around and read through my sources. And, and, and uh, the reason for this uh, why some translations say, for no word from God will ever fail, and others say, for with God nothing is impossible. And we can tell they basically mean the same thing, right? But the reason for this seems to be that the word, word, and the translations that say, for, for no word from God will ever fail, the word, word can also mean thing. Uh, and so some translators translate it, for no word from God will ever fail. Other translators used the word thing, for no thing from God will ever fail, right? No thing, it's the same thing as what? Nothing. That's just another way, that's a way to put them together. No thing and nothing are the same thing. So that's why it, 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 there's a slightly different transition, but it's the same thing. The meaning is still the same, that nothing from God will ever fail, or nothing from God or with God is impossible. Now intellectually, we know this to be true, that if God can create the universe, He can overwrite the rules that govern the universe. He's not bound in time and space as we are. We can't fathom that. But He has no limits. So by definition, God is all-powerful. If He weren't, we wouldn't be able to call Him God. But Christmas reminds us of more than just the fact that God can do the impossible. Christmas demonstrates to us that God will do the impossible for His people to accomplish His purposes. So today I want to talk to you about three ways that we see this happening in this story. Three foundational principles to experience that nothing is impossible with God. To experience that nothing is 
impossible power of God in your life. So let's look at the first one. The first foundational principle from this story is this, that, that God has a plan for every situation. God has a plan for every situation. Going way back to creation, the creation story, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they gave in to the temptation of the serpent, they ate of the fruit of the tree. At that moment, sin entered the world and man became a fallen creature, separated from God. So the scriptures tell us that God told Adam and Eve that there would be a price to pay for their disobedience, but God didn't abandon them altogether. The Bible says that God made garments of skin for them. He clothed them. Uh, they tried, they had this feeble attempt to clothe themselves using leaves, which of course would have dried up and you know, it wouldn't have lasted. So he made garments of skin, animal skin, and clothed them. And then God spoke to the serpents that had tempted them. And in Genesis 3.15, we read that God said this to the serpent, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Now this verse, this verse is the first of many prophecies throughout the Old Testament in which God says, that the world would become tainted by sin, but that He would send someone to set things right. Genesis 3.15 tells us that. There are scriptures in, in uh, Jeremiah. There are uh, verses, scriptures in, in Isaiah. I'm going to read you one more that tells us basically the same thing. Genesis 49.10 reads like this. A scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. And so we see that same prophecy that the world would be tainted by sin, but God says, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to send someone to make things right. So since the fall of Adam in the garden, God has had a plan to reconcile and to redeem sinful man. And that plan revolves, it revolved because it's, uh, it's already you know, taken place and continues to be in effect around Jesus. That's why everything in the Old Testament looks forward to the time when Jesus was born. Everything in the New Testament looks back toward the time Jesus was born. We might say that Everything in the Old Testament looks forward to Christmas. Everything in the, in the New Testament looks back to Christmas, both of them in order to find their meaning, in order to find their significance. The Old Testament finds its significance in Christmas. The New Testament finds its significance in Christmas because God had a plan and God has a plan. Now it's true that God has a plan uh, in a global or on a global scale. And it's true that God has a plan uh, at an individual level for each of us. He has a, a plan when you look at the big picture of history. God is not uninvolved. As some people believe. I mentioned to you last week that many of our founding fathers of our country were deists. You hopefully learned this in, in school. They were deists. That is to say that they believe that God created the heavens and the earth, and they just kind of sat back and let things, you know, take their course. 
But God did not do that. Uh, God has a plan for the whole world, for all of history, and God has a plan for your life and for your personal history. You know, sometimes people say, well, and, and maybe some of you have thought it at one time or another, sometimes people say, I've made so many mistakes along the way that even if God had a plan for my life, I've messed it up. I've ruined it. I've wandered too far away from God to accomplish His plan for my life. And yet, in the Scriptures, we see God constantly doing this with His people. When they would get off track, He would redeem the situation and He would adapt His plan to their new situation so that they could attain His purposes, God's purposes, for their lives. We see it, for example, in the story of Jonah. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach, and Jonah said, no, I won't go. And he went, in fact, the opposite direction. And God could have said, okay, if you won't go, I'll find somebody else that will go. But God didn't do that. God followed after the plan that he had, causing Jonah to be swallowed by a great fish. I mean, it's a fantastic story. By fantastic, I don't mean fantasy. I mean, it's a great story. Uh, because God had a plan for his life. And so what God does, excuse me, what God does is he, um, he redeems a situation. And so it can be the same with you. God has a plan for you and maybe you feel like you've messed up and you've taken some wrong turn somewhere. Maybe you know that you're not where you should be right now or where you think you ought to be. But I want to tell you that God has a plan. God can redeem even the mistakes you've made. And turn things around. He can pick it up wherever you are right now. There's a song we used to sing back a few years ago. A, a Bill Gaither song that had these lines. All I had to offer him. To offer God. All I had to offer him. Was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. And God has a plan to make something beautiful of your life. And he can do it. Because nothing is impossible with God. Now here's the second foundational principle I want you to see, and that is that God can make the details fall into place. The details of His plan, the details of your life, God can make the details fall into place. Joseph and Mary lived in Nazareth, in the northern region of Nazareth called Galilee. And the Old Testament said, however, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. A small town just a few miles south of Jerusalem. Well, Bethlehem was about 80 miles from Nazareth. Now, for us today, 80 miles is not very much, is it? We can, you know, Abilene's about 90 miles. We can go to Abilene, uh, have lunch, come back, and, you know, we're here. And the whole trip takes just during the afternoon. But back then, it was a long journey. 80 miles was, I read, uh, at least a two-day journey. And it wasn't a comfortable uh, they didn't have comfortable travel arrangements. So they weren't that close to where the Bible prophesied, the Old Testament uh, prophets prophesied that the Messiah would be born. They weren't that close to it. And Joseph and Mary would have no reason to be in Bethlehem, except that at that time, Caesar Augustus issued a decree, the Roman emperor, that every male had to register for a special tax, and in order to register for the tax, they had to go 
to the home of their heritage, to the home of their lineage. And for Joseph, that was Bethlehem. So lo and behold, suddenly he's got to go to Bethlehem. And he and Mary made the journey together. And it was while they were there that Jesus was born. And God's word was fulfilled just the way that uh, the prophets had prophesied. Because God worked out the details so that his plan would fall into place. And sometimes we might wonder what seems like uh, random things happening in our lives, why they're happening, what seem to be like uh, random, certainly inconveniences, without realizing that those things are actually the hand of God at work in your life. Because maybe God wants to get you to your Bethlehem. To that situation where God needs you to be so, so He can intervene in your life. To that situation where He needs you to be so He can work out His nothing is impossible power for you. Maybe you're far from Bethlehem and God needs to get you there. So things start to happen and they might seem random to you. But here's what I, I need you to understand. God is leading you into Bethlehem. He's leading you where He needs you to be in order for you to do what He needs you to do. You may be tempted to say, God, this journey I'm on is hard. God, don't you realize how hard this situation is for me? Can't you smooth my path? Can't you make the crooked way straight? Can't you flatten the hills and mountains and just, just give me a, a straight path I was uh, this week I saw um, a video uh, somebody uh, that I follow on Twitter he reports on running races you know the Olympics and and some of the uh, well-known runners uh, and so I follow his, his Twitter account so I can see who, who's doing what and he, he posted a, a video of a cross-country race in uh, somewhere in Europe I don't remember who it was but he, he said this is happening this weekend and he was kind of showing the, the course, and there was this really big hill. And I actually saw the, the, the guys who were running the race, and they were struggling to climb the hill. So it was really tough. But then he says, now look at this. Look at this. He walked through a gate, a gate, and then that, you know there was a big mansion, big house. He walked through the gate. He walked in through the front door. He says, this is a course. They're going to walk through, they're going to run through this house. And it, it was, uh, you know, a hardwood floor. I thought, man, these people are going to slip. Well, when I saw the race, they, they actually had a, like a, uh, you know, like a turf, green turf. And it also told them where the path was. But they actually ran through the house. That was part of the cross-country course. So that, that was really weird. But I thought, yeah, I mean, this is a lot easier running through the house than climbing that hill. And we would like that, right, in life. God, just give me a nice, flat course. Um, Leslie's a runner. She knows, you know, what, what it's like to run on a flat course and what it's like to run a lot of hills up and down. Uh, Leslie and David, of course. Um, so sometimes we might think, Lord, can you just flatten the course for me? Take me through a nice house. <laughs> give me a nice house. Give me a nice neighborhood. Great job. And sometimes we think, God, don't you realize that life is unfair? What I'm going through right now is unfair. I don't see how any of this makes sense. From, from where you are, you might think God is not in control. It might think like things are just getting 
more and more difficult. But don't you think that Mary and Joseph might have felt that same way when at the end of a long and hard journey, they arrived in Bethlehem and there was no place to stay? Now, not only no place to stay, but think about this. That was Joseph's hometown. He had to have family there. And yet none of his family opened the door to him. Could it, could it be because they knew that his you know, wife-to-be is uh, pregnant? She got pregnant before, you know, and at this point, I don't know, uh, let's assume they were already uh, married, but uh, she was pregnant before they got married? So maybe that's why his own family, he had to have family there, didn't open the door for him, and they didn't have a place to stay. They ended up staying the night with animals. Can you imagine that? Uh, Some people in this situation might be tempted to say, God, this isn't fair. Might be tempted to ask God, God, is this really your idea of favor in my life? So, I mean, I don't have an idea what Mary and Joseph thought that first night. But I do know, we do know from Scripture what they thought later. And they thought that all that was worth it. All of it was worth it. Because God can make the details of your life fall into place according to His purposes for you. The events of your life are not as random as you think they might be. God is in control. He has His hand in the events surrounding you every day of your life. Proverbs 21.1 reads like this, The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever He pleases. The king's heart, your boss's heart, your friends, your enemies. Hopefully you don't have any. Let's just say your opponents. Let's not say enemies. Your opponents, family members, co-workers, students, customers, whomever, neighbors, random strangers. They may think they're in control of how... uh, uh, They might think they're in control of a situation that affects you, but their power is nothing like God's power. The king's heart is directed by the Lord. Like a stream. Like a stream. That's because... With God, nothing is impossible. And here's the third thing I want you to see today. The third foundational principle to the nothing is impossible power of God in your life, to the nothing is impossible way of life is this. The impossible becomes possible at the moment of surrender. The impossible becomes possible at the moment of surrender. When the angel came to Mary and told her that She would give birth to a son. Well, Mary must have immediately started to understand what that meant. She knew what might happen. She wasn't married at that time. She knew that her husband-to-be, first of all, might not believe her about an angel appearing to her and saying, Oh, you're pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She knew that he wasn't going to say, Oh, okay. No. She knew that her family might not believe her as well, might not understand She knew, of course, that people would talk. She knew that this calling by God on her life was going to turn her life upside down. That's why when the angel came to her and the angel addressed her this way, the angel said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Bible tells us in Luke 1-9 that this was the way she responded. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. She was troubled in her spirit. She was confused. What? How can I be favored? 
She knew there would be great challenges ahead. But after the angel explained what was going on and told her what was going on, what was her response? We read her response in Luke 1.38. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything, everything you said about me come true. Wow. That's really a, a great lesson for us that God can't do the impossible in your life until you arrive at that moment of surrender. You want to see God's impossible uh, way of life, power in your, in your life? Well, God won't do that because God can't begin to do the impossible in your life until you arrive at that moment of surrender, just like Mary did. And it was the same thing for Joseph when he heard about Mary that she was expecting a child. No doubt he was disappointed. No doubt he was heartbroken to think that she was his betrothed and to think that she had been unfaithful to him. He had to have been just devastated by the, the news. But he was not a vindictive man. The Gospels tell us that he decided to end the engagement quietly. He could have put her to public shame. But he decided to end it, the engagement quietly. And then the angel came to visit him. And the angel said to him, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because... The fact that she is with child is of the Holy Spirit. And the angel said to him, she's going to give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, I don't know if Joseph understood immediately just how literally the angel was speaking. I mean, that he was going to be the savior of all the people. He, he could have understood that to mean, or he could have interpreted that to mean that Jesus was going to be a great spiritual leader that would help people in his life, would help uh, people to find their way to God. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't know if she really understood that. No, he's like the savior of the world. He's not going to point people to God. He's like going to save people. I'm not sure that he understood everything the angel said, but I am sure that he understood the implications of following through with his marriage to Mary. Again, people would think that uh, she had been unfaithful to Joseph, but they would also think that he had been unfaithful to God in the sense that he had compromised custom in, this, in the sense they would think that, oh, Joseph, so you slept with your fiancé before you really got married. They would think that about him, so he knew what others would assume. He knew how people would talk. People would talk back then too, like they do today. He knew how his reputation, which was a good reputation, and apparently rightly so because of the way that he didn't want to make a public spectacle and, and put her to shame. But he knew that that reputation would take a hit. So what did he do? Matthew one twenty four, When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. See, Mary and Joseph each reached the place of surrendering to the will of God. And as a result, the impossible became possible for them. As a result of their obedience, they gave birth to a son who was more than just a great leader. He was the savior of 
of the world, of people everywhere, in every nation, in every generation. And it's amazing that all this, the Christmas celebration, uh, the 2,000 years of church history, hundreds of millions of uh, Christians throughout the world today, its origins of all this can be traced back to two courageous, working class, blue collar people who surrendered completely to God's will in their lives. There's no limit to what God can accomplish in your life when you surrender to His will. No limit. You can have more joy, more, more power, more love, more influence, more opportunity. Yes, even more success than you ever imagined possible. Does that mean that God will give you an easy life? No. That God will lay out a flat course for you with no hills, no valleys. There's no such thing as an easy life. Whether or not you surrender to God's will, I mean, your life is going to be full of challenges. That's just the way of the world. It's not that you'll have a life without challenges, but it's that you'll have a life without me, uh, meaningless challenges when you surrender to God's will. There's going to be a purpose to everything that happens, and it serves ultimately to get you to the place where God wants you to be, to get you to your Bethlehem. Because nothing is impossible with God. Let me finish with this. You know, we hear the phrase, it's a Christmas miracle. Ever heard that? On Hallmark, in case, you, in case you've missed it. It's a Christmas miracle. Last night, I started to watch, right before I went to bed, a Miracle on 34th Street. And uh, the, the 1994 version. And uh, I, I like the movie. You know, I would have watched it if it hadn't been so late. Uh, but yeah, it's all about the Christmas miracle. But you know what? I, I believe in Christmas miracles, not because I see it on Hallmark, but because Christmas really is a season of miracles. Be because of Christmas, miracles are possible. Because of Christmas, the impossible can become possible. A virgin gives birth to a son who lives a sinless life and, and then dies on the cross after a life of ministry and, and performing miracles, dies on the cross, comes back to life on the third day so that we can experience that uh, new life, that abundant life, the resurrection power of God in our lives. And as I said at the beginning, Jesus himself said those words. All things are possible with God. With God, nothing is impossible. So I just want to ask you, what seems impossible to you right now some people might say you know it's it's impossible i feel like it's impossible that i would ever be forgiven no it's not impossible nothing is impossible with god others might say it's impossible that i could ever be happy no that's not impossible nothing is impossible with god somebody might say it's impossible that i could ever be successful i feel like a failure no that's not impossible it's impossible that my marriage could ever be strong again. It's impossible. No, it's not impossible. It's impossible that I could ever find the right job. It's impossible that I could ever find the right person uh, to marry if that's your desire. It's impossible. This is impossible. That's impossible. No, because with God, nothing is impossible. Now, we know, we know that for God, 
nothing is impossible. But what this message is that with God, when we are connected to God, then with God, nothing is impossible. When you surrender to God, His plan comes to life in your life. He causes the details to fall into place and the impossible becomes possible. If you surrender to Him at that moment of surrender, the door is open wide, open wide for God's miracle working power in your life. So it's like a Christmas miracle that, that works every day of your life. And so today I just want to invite you. If you've not ever surrendered your life to God, or maybe you've done the religious uh, steps and religious things and you celebrate Christmas, you know, the true story of Christmas, but you've never reached a point where you crossed the line of faith and you said, from this day forward, on this day, on this date, I surrender to God. And I ask Him to come, and not just to come in, uh, into my life, into my heart, but to come and change me, to come and renew me. Because salvation is not just a matter of repeating a, a prayer or saying a few words, but it's a matter of when we do that and when we mean it, it's a matter of the Spirit of God entering and, and doing a work in us that we can't do ourselves. So if you've not ever done that, I want to invite you today, surrender your life to God in a personal way. Surrender your life to Him. Tap into that power. Tap into that nothing is impossible with God way of life. And you'll know the true joy, the abundant life that God has for you. I'm going to invite you to bow in prayer as we conclude our time and as we begin a time of responding to God. I want, I want you to respond to God through this prayer in our time of worship, respond and surrender to God. Father, we come to you today thanking you for this great story. It's a fascinating story. And lessons that we learn from this very young lady and from Joseph. Lessons of surrender. Lessons of trust in you, even when we know that obeying you is, is it's going to bring all kinds of problems in our lives because we know that you're in control. I thank you, God. And I ask that you would help us today to understand this truth that only when we surrender to you, only at that moment of surrender does the impossible become possible. And I ask you for that person, maybe somebody here today, somebody watching online right now, or somebody who may be listening to this in the future. Somebody who is saying, God, I just need, I just need you in my life. I pray that they would have the strength to say right now, Lord, I surrender to you. Forgive my sins. Forgive me for trying to approach you uh, in religious ways, perhaps, and not simply surrendering my heart and my life to you. I pray, dear God, that if, as they do that, they would know the joy that only you can give, and they would know the power that makes the impossible possible in their lives as you enter their lives father let the the new life begin that you have promised to give us lord i pray for that person who is going through a struggle and they're saying god why why does it have to be me why does it have to be this that person who maybe is asking lord when am i going to smile again when will it get better 
help them to believe that you're getting them to that place where you want them to be. You're getting them to their Bethlehem and to trust in you, Father. To trust in you. Teach us to do that. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.